0: Are the Idaho Press Club are biased. All media, newspaper, radio. To be completely blunt here, Brian, and there are plans to expand indoctrination. That's right. Well, Idahoans are also concerned. Horror shot. That line would be moving a little bit farther west. I'm like crying. Nobody wants to Dark see Dark money is influencing policy in our state. Well, that's not how this works. Well, hello there, and welcome to Nowhere to Hide. Got a fun show ahead of us today. We're going to talk about some things that are going on here in the Gem State. In particular, we're going to talk about the media and certain political allies circling the wagons on Prop 1, uh, circling the wagons on lockdown policy. There's an interesting story and actually part of another story that uh, has been going on now for a couple of years. And uh, we'll also talk a little bit about uh, legal plunder, a phrase that I'm guessing a lot of people are not familiar with, and yet uh, politicians do this on the regular, even ostensibly conservative politicians. But let's begin with uh, circling the wagons on Prop 1. And uh, who better to represent, you know, for for the collectivists among us than our good friend Jim Jones, former Attorney General, uh, former uh, member of the Idaho Supreme Court. Yes, he too is closing ranks with uh, the proponents of, of Prop 1, including many members of the media. And look at this headline here. The Idaho Freedom Foundation misinforms about the education initiative. Now, Jim Jones never seems to make any effort to, to really hide his distaste or antipathy toward the Idaho Freedom Foundation. Let's let's see how he starts out and see if, if this goes in a good direction. The ill-named Idaho Freedom Foundation. Okay, that didn't last long, did it? <laughs> which essentially owns and operates the extremist branch of today's Republican Party. This isn't getting better. Wants to destroy the gem state's public school system. Wow. I mean... In the space of one sentence, I think we have almost a manifesto, much less the, the lead to an article here. As recent as August 8th, Idaho Freedom Foundation President Wayne Hoffman repeated his demand for the state to get out of the education business. That seems to be a tall order, though, since the Idaho Constitution requires the legislature to maintain a general, uniform, and thorough system of public, free, common schools. Now, he does have a point. The Idaho Constitution does talk about uh, providing for public schools. However, I've not heard uh, the Idaho Freedom Foundation or anyone else who is advocating for a separation of school and state talk about this in terms of we just want to get uh, get education, you know, off the plate here. In fact, there's there's a common uh, fallacy I guess that's that's bought into here by by proponents of uh, only the state can do this, and it was best expressed by Frederick Bastiat. Back in the early 1800s, I mean, this guy, I think he passed away by 1850. But Bastiat said, socialism, like the ancient ideas from which it springs, confuses the distinction between government and society. And as a result of this, every time we object to a thing being done by government, the socialists conclude that we object to its being done at all. It's as if the socialists were to accuse us of not wanting persons to eat because we don't want the state to raise grain. So in the context of, you know, getting the state out of the education business, that is not a wholesale denunciation of education itself. That is simply a call for competition, for other ways to get that education done that doesn't rely on the coercive power of the states. Now, if you know anything about how did public education in most of the states come about as a compulsory measure, you got to do a little bit of digging. you got to be willing to, to actually study the history. It wasn't always this way. But back around the turn of the century, in the 20th century, that is, there was a definite push to institute public education, and in fact, not just institute it, but make it compulsory, as in truancy laws. We punish parents if they don't send their kids kids to the public schools. This is an idea that was brought back by Horace Mann in the mid 1800s after visiting Prussia. And if you want to read a really great uh, ex- a really great expose on this, um, John Taylor Gatto, Dumbing Us Down, or The Underground History of of American Education, both written by John Taylor Gatto. This guy was a 30-year public school teacher, marvelous educator, teacher of the year in the New York City public school system. And yet he stepped away from education because he recognized the system itself was very good at teaching people their place in society, but as far as educating young minds, not so good. Now, again, that's not an argument against education. That's just saying when you put it in the hands of the state, it has a tendency to teach people to pretty much think the same about the same kinds of uh, issues or ideas and to know their place in society, to defer to authority, you know, whenever possible. It's a marvelous read. Let's get back to Jim Jones, though. Let's see what Jim has to say here. I'm sure that uh, that Jim would uh, would like to uh, bring us up to speed on on. Why the IFF is, uh, is not uh, his favorite uh, organization, even though, really, freedom is what they're standing up for. Listen to this. He says, Hoffman claims our school system is largely transforming into an indoctrination camp built not to teach students reading, writing, and arithmetic, but rather a center teaching them rioting, resistance, and race war. Now, he says it seems like Hoffman desperately needs a crash course on what dedicated teachers across Idaho are doing to educate our kids with the insufficient resources they receive from the legislature. Now, there's a little bit to unpack. When when Wayne Hoffman says that our school system is largely transforming into an indoctrination camp, he's not wrong. You look at what has been pushing and testing the waters and being introduced, and look, it comes in on cat's feet. It's not like this is being done all at once, but... How far has has the school system generally, I'm talking the state run public school system, opened its arms to embrace wokeism? Now, if you just start with wokeism and all the things that encompass accompany, um, encompasses rather, that would include you know LGBT friendly clubs, that would include uh, you know gender education, and by the way, sometimes they'll even they'll have teachers that'll laugh and well, we had to change the name and talk about how this emotional social education, it's the same thing repackaged critical race theory. The, the pushing of the limits is always there. And the interesting diversion technique that Jim Jones resorts to here is he accuses Wayne Hoffman of blaming teachers. So Jim's going to hide behind the teachers, as I assume that uh, that others will, you know, who don't want these these these. Uh, left-wing ideologies criticized why you're you're imputing the integrity of our teachers see the truth of the matter is and my wife by the way is a public school teacher i would say the vast majority of teachers do not embrace teaching rioting resistance and race war and crt and all the wokeism that's out there but the system itself is beginning to incorporate this into the way that it does it's part of its procedures it's it's part of its policies. and so these teachers often have no choice but to go along or at least to tread very carefully wherever they go because if they were to openly you know stand up against it, they might uh, they might have a real problem with that. Oh and, and Jim <laughs> thank you, Brian. Uh, Our schools don't teach basic education but instead indoctrinate kids. Well, that just shows they need more money. Yes, there was the guilt factor, too, that Jim threw in here about uh, we need more resources from the legislature. But notice he's going to come back here again to hiding behind the teachers. This is all about attacking our teachers when it really isn't. Now, rather than seeking a constitutional amendment to do away with the public school system, Hoffman prefers to subvert the Constitution by hammering public schools at every turn. Well, Nowhere in the constitution, in the state constitution, does it say that there can't be competition in terms of education. It just says that the state shall maintain one. And you know, again, this was sold to the states at the behest of uh, of Horace Mann and others who led the public education movement, based on what they witnessed in the Prussian school system back in the mid eighteen hundreds. So when it it comes to implementing this. It wasn't like, you know, suddenly everybody realized this was just the best way to do it. It was more or less peddled to the public and people bought into it as a way of, well, this is, this is how we can educate more people than before. And it made it easier in some ways, pooling of resources for, you know, small communities where they had the one room schoolhouse and so forth. And of course, as you as you had the Industrial Revolution taking place and people moving from more rural areas into cities, Yeah, the numbers of education grew. But again, the idea that only the state can do this or only the state should do this, that's a faulty idea. I do agree with Jim on this one point, though. Perhaps it is time for a constitutional amendment to clarify this or perhaps to separate school and state. I know that's going to upset some people, but that actually would be a good thing. And no, education wouldn't go away. Even the buildings wouldn't go away. They would simply change hands. And the people who are more interested in education than in uh, political power or indoctrination would then have the ability to to run those schools. Parents could keep more of their own resources to decide where to send their kids. This is what school choice is all about. Anyway, back to Jim's commentary. He says that uh, Hoffman urges his loyal minions in the legislature, uh, because they couldn't actually be thinking, reasoning legislators, but minions instead, to starve public schools of necessary funding or perhaps to allocate those resources in places that are actually more productive. Well, there's another way to look at it. He promotes the use of state funds for private and religious schools. Now, state funds come from the taxpayers. So you're talking taxpayer funds here, Jim, and just calling them state funds doesn't mean this is the state's money and it's sacrosanct. It just simply means more parents should be able to keep their their money and decide what to do for their kids' education. He demeans teachers, here we are, hiding behind the teacher's skirts again, how dare he do this, falsely claiming they're indoctrinating children with dangerous anti-white ideology. No wonder so many teachers are leaving the profession they love. Again, not all teachers are doing this, but there are some who clearly are, and there are some who view that access to these students as uh, as an activist role that they get to play. That's wrong. And it's a captive audience. And they're using uh, this springboard of the state's authority while you're in a state institution to try to teach the kids that this is the way that they should think. And under the concepts of wokeism, guess what? They have cover to do this. Again, it doesn't have to be every teacher. And, And this is the point that I think needs to be made. People don't have to wait until there is a full-blown Black Panthers or Black Lives Matter chapter in every school and, and a little communist, you know, Red Book uh, carrying, uh, you know, Maoist kids club in every school. It's the trend. It's the direction that we're going. And that's what's being called out. And this is why there are people who are working very hard to prevent this from becoming the norm. Jim Jones says, Idaho's public school system is overseen by elected school boards and operated by teachers and administrators who live in local communities. It is a contemptible lie to claim that they are trying to subvert local values instead of doing their level best to give our kids a decent education. Something that has to be considered here, though, too, is... What is being asked of many of these educators? I don't disagree with him that, uh, you know, the elected local school boards and operated by teachers and administrators who live right there in the local community. Most of these people are very down-to-earth, level-headed people. But the systems in which they work operate under the auspices of the state. And right now the state is being captured by the forces of wokeness. So if they're doing their best to give the kids a decent education They're also being assigned a lot of other things, counseling, and and they're they're basically doing everything but tucking these kids into bed at night. Maybe we should focus just primarily on the education factor and not so much on the school is here to fill every need you could possibly have. All right. Finally, he says, Hoffman claims our schools will churn out a generation of idiots more easily controlled and manipulated by sleazy politicians, media pundits, and government bureaucrats. Now, he says, it seems to me that he's describing what Idaho education would like look like under IFF's control. Jim, here's the problem, though. IFF is not vying for control of the education system. They're not trying to take control of anything for themselves. What they're trying to do is stand up for the freedom of the parents and the students and the communities to educate those kids as they see what's best. Not to, as, as some bureaucrat or some administrative rule dictates, it must be. I love this next line, too. Idaho rose to greatness because of the public school system. I would say in spite of a, you know, mandatory public school system. And, and there, there are great teachers and there are great schools. But let's not forget, if it's compulsory, you got a question. Was it really that great an idea if you had to make it something that's enforced at the point of a gun? Which everything, by the, everything that the state does is enforced at the point of a gun. That's just how it is. That's force is part of the word enforcement. Idaho rose to greatness because of the public school system, which was one of the state's highest priorities upon achieving statehood in 1890. In fact, could it also be said that it was one of the requisite requirements upon achieving statehood? Because I think that was uh, that was part of the carrot and stick that was dangled before states. So, okay, in order to be a state that's admitted to the union, you also have to have a public education plan and you have to make sure you have mandatory public education for your students. Just just throwing that possibility out there. It can maintain that greatness if the legislature will honor its constitutional duty to adequately fund it. In other words, throw as much money at it as as we ask for or as we demand, and that should make everything okay. I think that seems to be kind of the, the driving force behind Proposition 1. And, you know, there, there's room for disagreement here. This doesn't mean that, uh, you know, Jim is a bad guy or that he's, you know, he's evil, but he definitely sees things in terms of if the state's not in control, then it must be somehow out of control or it's in the hands of extremists. And that is very much the mantra of extremists or of statism, rather. Everything that the state doesn't control, by definition, is out of control. One final note here. He says, IFF wrongly claims that the initiative, meaning Prop 1, would hike taxes on every single Idahoan including the poor and middle-class families and small businesses, without bothering to do its own analysis. By the way, that's not true. IFF latched onto misinformed claims of an out-of-state tax group. Is that right? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Well, the the, uh, out-of-state tax group, you have the Tax Foundation. You know, this is what they do. They study tax issues. So, you know, I guess if if we can just dismiss them as something other than a group that really studies these issues, they're just this out-of-state group. To support its opposition to the initiative. Now, listen to this appeal to not only authority but also an appeal to uh, to friendship. This is this is kind of the uh, longtime reporter Betsy Russell performed an in-depth review of the IFF claims and found them to be unfounded. Well, there it is, boys, right on the internet. Looks like the matter is settled. Sorry, but Betsy, uh, her, by the way, he says her informed conclusions are nicely summed up by the title of her report. We talked about this in the last show, claims unfounded, why school funding initiative wouldn't have higher than advertised price tags, price tag rather. What that says in so many words is, look, here is the headline that Betsy came up with because she's a longtime reporter, because she has said that this unfounded, really, you don't need to do any more of your own uh, due diligence. I beg to differ. No, you do need to do your own due diligence, and you need to study this out for yourself. No disrespect to you, Betsy, but uh, I'm not going to take your word for it, or the word of Mike Nugent, who he then uh, refers to. Uh, Jim Jones says, Russell analyzes and evaluates IFF's claims with the help of Idaho's foremost legislative drafting expert, Mike Nugent, the legislature's chief bill drafter for 26 years before his 2018 retirement. Now, he gushes about Nugent. I was in awe of Nugent's capabilities during my tenure as attorney general in the 1980s and during my 12 years on the Supreme Court. He knows what he's talking about, whereas the out-of-state tax group, which he doesn't even want to name, the Tax Foundation, and Idaho Freedom Foundation do not. The initiative will do what its proponent, Reclaim Idaho, says it will do, not what IFF claims. I would encourage you, please, don't take my word for it. Don't take uh, Idaho Freedom Foundation's word for it. Don't take Jim Jones' word for it, but actually look at this for yourself. Study it out. Look at the stuff that even if you think I'm probably going to disagree with this, look at it anyway and just see what it has to say. I shared some of the excerpts from Jared Walsack's piece from uh, the Tax Foundation, and I think he raises some very legitimate concerns. And these are things that were waved away. Oh, well, it's no big deal. It can be fixed. You know, the legislature can always step in and fix it later but these are the kind of things that need to be fixed before they become law once it becomes law it's it's a lot harder to to really sort things out things kind of become cemented and and they tend to uh, they they tend to to grow and creep you know from the time that they're implemented so no disrespect to Jim Jones here i think i i disagree with him on this but i would encourage you now that you've heard his side of this, I would encourage you to look at uh, the information you can go to idahofreedom.org. You'll find plenty of information on this. It will offer a counterpoint to it, but please do your due diligence and and make up your own mind. This is important and it's it's not going to just affect the richest people, the richest taxpayers in the state, as uh, Jared Walsack ex- explains. This is something that is going to creep until everybody is paying a higher tax, and and as inflation continues to mount, there's danger that, uh, that it will happen on an even faster basis than was anticipated. Might be worth addressing some of those concerns right now. All right, moving on to another story. This one I know is going to have some, some mixed feelings from folks, even on the conservative side. Uh, a woman sentenced for disturbing the peace after protest at health officials' home in 2020. This was just uh, the the sentencing was handed down this week. Susan Lang, who took part in a protest outside a health official's home in December 2020, was sentenced Wednesday for a misdemeanor. Now, I understand that uh, before actually before I go into the details on this, I got to say this. I know that there are people on the conservative side who say, look, that's crossing a line. You should not be going to these uh, elected officials homes and protesting. And I can understand where they're coming from because uh, we've seen you know, protesting outside the homes of Supreme Court just, justices and so forth. And, and I think that there is, anytime you get a mob of people together, especially when people start chanting in unison, that's probably time to get out of there, because uh, the more people chant, the more people will get that mob mentality going, the less actual brain activity seems to be in evidence. However, having said that, if a person's behavior is peaceful, and I don't mean silent and obedient, But just if their behavior is peaceful and is not violent, I think they ought to be able to protest. And sometimes I think that is the way that they need to get the attention of health officials or elected officials or appointed officials who otherwise will not listen. So back to the article. Let's let's talk a little bit about this. An Ada County Magistrate Court judge on Wednesday sentenced Susan Lang, 52, to seven days in jail with credit for two days already served. A jury found Lang guilty of disturbing the peace in a trial that ended July 27th. Now, Lang was part of a group of people protesting on December 9th, 2020, outside the home of Diana Laciando, who was then an Ada County Commissioner and a member of the Central District Board of Health. Other protesters had gone to the homes of other board members. A larger group had protested outside the CDHD building earlier that evening as the board met to discuss a response to COVID-19. Now, I'm not inciting anger or violence when I point this out, but let's remember some of the decisions that were being made by appointed as well as elected officials during this time. They were shutting down people's businesses. They were limiting people's ability to congregate in groups above a specific size. They were arresting people for singing hymns in a church parking lot. They, they were arresting Sarah Brady for taking her kids to a park. Those lockdown policies first of all, did nothing to slow the spread of the virus. It didn't care what some politician or bureaucrat wrote on a piece of paper. It did what viruses do. It spread through the population until it became endemic, and then natural immunity has, uh, has since throttled it back down. There's just as much COVID right now. There is just as much co- coronavirus circulating right now as there was two years ago. But the difference is the virus has run its course as viruses do, and the emphasis has shifted from everybody has to mask up, everybody has to socially distance, follow the one-way arrows and so forth. So the protests that these people were, were, were holding were actually good things to be doing. They needed to, somebody needed to say it because there were elected as well as appointed officials that were far overstepping their bounds. All right, back to the story. As uh, they were discussing their response to COVID-19. Apparently this group of people stood outside Laciando's home and uh, the, the woman in particular beat on a drum. Lang, was, she beat a drum. She was there maybe 15 minutes and she actually left before the police arrived because th- there were those who called the police and said, hey, we got a bunch of protesters out here. So she wasn't even there. So the protesters had left. Officers found evidence that included chalk on the sidewalk. By the way, it said no lockdown and videos posted online. So I'm going to ask you, was a crime committed? Well, it was inconvenient, Brian. They made noise. They, they disturbed the neighbors. I understand that. But was a crime committed? See, it's it's a little murkier. If I was sitting on that jury, I probably would have said, that's not a crime. It may be, it may be rude or considered rude by some people. But I think we've reached the point where uh, just, you know, standing by and quietly nodding your head in acceptance is not going to change anything. If you're going to stand up for your rights, you're going to have to be willing to offend a few people. As long as the behavior is peaceful, I say do it. Neighbors also signed a complaint allowing the police to seek warrants for disturbing the peace. Lang was later arrested, then booked into the Ada County Jail and released. Following Wednesday's sentencing, Lang begins serving the remaining five days of her seven-day sentence at the Ada County Jail. Now, I don't know if justice was served. I kind of doubt that it was, but I I do know this. The people who were protesting were there not out of a sense of I want political power and I want to, you know, make everybody do what I want them to do. They were there standing up for their own rights. That's a moral imperative. That's a moral decision. And when the, the laws, these weren't even laws. They were just guidelines or policies that were enforced as if they were laws. I mean, why else would police arrest a mom for taking her kids to the park? Right. She got arrested because when the cops said, you need to get your kids out of here, she said, what are you going to do, arrest me? And his ego kicked in. And yes, he did. By the way, Sarah Walton Brady has been waiting, I think, pretty close to 800 days now for a trial. She has spent over twenty five thousand dollars on attorneys. The judge keeps kicking that trial date further down the road. And, you know, the problem is. It's like the, the, the process itself, the justice process, I'll put that in quotation marks is the punishment. And again, I would love to be one of the people sitting on that jury when she actually has to to go to court for, for Sarah, because I think that they can make the case that the state way overstepped it. Why are we two years later still litigating, you know, the, this, this case or trying to, to bring it to, to, to fruition. Why weren't the charges dismissed a long time ago? By the way, uh, Sin Alfonso points out the BLM protested in front of Senator Rish's house and, uh, and apparently uh, set up a protest area right in front of Senator Rish's house, including caution tape and cones. BLM banged on pots and pans and spoons, screaming through a megaphone in front of law enforcement. What? Nobody? Nobody arrested them? Oh, my goodness. You know, that's nobody cited or arrested. It's There's a two-tiered system of justice. And again, that was in 2020, just like, just like this protest. I'm not telling you that if you're not protesting, somehow you're missing out or you, you've you missed the boat, but sometimes there's times that you have to stand up and you just have to be willing to offend people. And then there's also this problem. When the law or what's passing as the law and morality contradict each other, the citizen has the cruel alternative of either, either losing his moral sense or losing his respect for the law. That's the situation that uh, these... Uh, both uh, elected leaders as well as bureaucratic uh, leaders and administrators, put us into with some of the things that they were enacting. Not a good idea. All right, got to touch on this next piece just uh, just briefly. Um, Governor Little has apparently waved the white flag of surrender and he urges businesses to honor teachers and touts investments. This article, which was published in IdahoPress.com, uh, talks about his annual business uh, address to the business community which took place this past Wednesday. Governor little touted investments in the state investments that's by the way that's taxpayer money we're going to we're going to spend that money but we'll call it an investment from transportation to behavioral health he urged business leaders and others in Idaho to our teachers. Now look, I'm not saying you should disrespect teachers but are we playing to a voting block here governor really? I mean um, let's let's take a look here the next slide I think answers that question for us Ah yes. Little, who is seeking re-election in November, mm -hmm, told the crowd of more than 250 that when he meets with other governors, they marvel at the success of Idaho's economy. He touted the state's fiscal conservatism. We live within our means. We pay off debt. We've paid off almost all the debt we can in Idaho right now. Yeah, I'd say we've got to, what, $2 billion projected to be in in, uh, surplus. By July of 2023, we save money for a rainy day, we give money back to people, we make investments where they count, and the result of all those things put us in an incredible, enviable position relative to other states. Now, he reiterated a theme he pushed since he first ran for governor, make Idaho a state where our kids will choose to stay. Now, that's not a bad goal, but do you suppose that could be done with a little less government interference? Maybe if government got out of the way, for instance, by the way, not mentioned at all in his speech and the or in the questions afterward from the audience, was the prospect of a looming special session of the legislature, which little has confirmed he's considering to address education investments and tax relief as the state faces both high inflation and a big state budget surplus. So we have a $1.4 billion surplus as of June 30th of this year. The latest economic forecast suggests it could have a $2 billion surplus by July 1st of next year. And by the way, uh, there's a wonderful article by Fred Birnbaum. This is published on the Idaho Freedom Foundation website. Uh, this is uh, Little proposes full surrender to reclaim Idaho. Leftists well worth your time to read it. If if only for a little bit different take on on this otherwise glowing story by Betsy Russell about uh, oh the governor's going to take care of us all. And he he talks about it. we're going to do it all without you know any any other uh, expenditures or raising taxes or anything like this. We're going to give you money back. Look, these are promises. It's an election year. I'm just going to ask you, keep it in context, but be skeptical. Be a little bit skeptical. And it also brings to mind a term that I'm sure not everybody's familiar with, but we need to know this. And we need to be using this term when we talk to elected leaders, particularly those who hold the purse strings, legal plunder. And that is when government or the state takes money or takes wealth from one group and utilizes it for another. I know it could be used for beneficial purposes, but look, if I come and take from you something that is not mine, that belongs to you, and it doesn't matter, I threaten you with violence, you're going to give that to me, or else I'll have men come and lock you in a cage. I'm taking it from you with a threat. And even if I'm going to go pay for my mom's surgery or something like that, it doesn't change the fact that what I'm doing is taking something that's not mine and then utilizing someone else's property or someone else's money. That would be theft. And all I'm asking you to consider is it doesn't become a righteous thing when the state does it. Frederick Bastiat said, when the plunder becomes, when plunder becomes a way of life for a group of men living together in society, they create for themselves in the course of time, a legal system that authorizes it. Oh, and it sure does. And a moral code that glorifies it. That is exactly what you will see on display in, in most of the the halls of uh, of legislatures and and various administrative offices, and you'll certainly see it uh, supported by members of the Idaho press. They're all for legal plunder. After all, if it's you know, if it's an idea that uh, you know requires us taxing you and you have to pay for it and we know it's good for you, well, then they're okay with it. What they're not okay with seemingly though, is the idea that you should be able to keep more of your own money and decide, What are the best places to allocate those resources? So don't be confused. When people stand up for freedom, it's going to offend those who do not resonate with freedom. In fact, the people who are actively trying to limit freedom or otherwise take it away, yeah, they're going to be offended and they're going to call it all kinds of names. That's extremism. That's just hate. That's just you're trying to take control of everything. trying to ruin our state. It's theatrics, but it doesn't necessarily reflect reality. So I hope this is food for thought. Again, go to IdahoFreedom.org. You'll find some great reading. And, And I'm not asking you to believe everything that I've shared with you. I'm just asking you, please check it out for yourself. Make up your own mind. I'm Brian Hyde. This is Nowhere to Hide are biased, the Idaho Press Club are biased, all media, newspaper, radio. To be completely blunt here, Brian, and there are plans to expand indoctrination. That's right. Idahoans are also concerned. Horror shot. That line would be moving a little bit farther west. I'm like crying. Nobody wants to see. Dark money is influencing policy in our state. Well, that's not how this works.